0: Welcome to the ASC Podcast Series. I'm Jim Hemphill from American Cinematographer Magazine. Throughout the last 40 years, director Francis Ford Coppola has worked with some of the best cinematographers in the business. Bill Butler on The Rain People and The Conversation, Gordon Willis on The Godfather Films, Vittorio Storaro on Apocalypse Now, One from the Heart, Tucker, and New York Stories, Stephen Burham on The Outsiders and Rumblefish, Stephen Goldblatt on The Cotton Club, Jordan Cronenweth on Peggy Sue Got Married and Gardens of Stone, Michael Ballhaus on Dracula, and John Toll on Jack and the Rainmaker. In 2007, Romanian director of photography Mihai Malemare joined this elite club when Coppola asked him to photograph Youth Without Youth, the director's first feature in 10 years. A film about the devastating effects of the passage of time and the bittersweet loss of young love, Youth Without Youth was a deeply romantic and visually audacious film that garnered Mihai an Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Cinematography. It was his third feature as director of photography. Coppola and Mihai's second collaboration, Tetro, was released this summer to widespread acclaim. Manola Dargis of the New York Times called it a film of great visual beauty, and Roger Ebert said of the black-and-white cinematography, it made me hopelessly desire that more features could be made in this beautiful format. Shot and set in Argentina, the film tells the story of Benny, a young man who reunites with his older brother, Tetro, after several years apart. Instead of finding the idealized sibling of his youth, Benny discovers that Tetro is distant and angry and troubled by unresolved issues with the boy's father. When Benny discovers some hidden notes written by Tetro, he begins to gain insight into his brother's anger, an anger that intensifies when Benny uses the material as the basis for a play. Eventually, however, the brothers reconcile as they confront the demons of their family's past and come to terms with their father's sins. With its richly detailed black-and-white photography and its tale of a complex relationship between two brothers, Tetro recalls Stephen Burham's stunning work on Coppola's 1983 film Rumblefish. It also continues the visual experiments that Mihai and Coppola initiated on Youth Without Youth, a film characterized by formal widescreen compositions, sharp contrast and extended depth of field, and an often immobile camera. Working in high definition, Mihai has, with these two features, begun to develop a unique visual language, unlike anything else currently in fashion in world cinema. Today we're going to talk about this style and his partnership with Coppola, which has already generated some of the most beautiful images of the new millennium. Welcome, Mihai. Hi, thanks. <laughs> uh, um, before we get to Tetro, I'd just like to know a little bit about your background and what led you to the film. Uh, how did you first develop an interest in cinematography?
1: Um, first of all, my father is an actor. So I grew up pretty much in like the Romanian National Theater and on different sets. and. I wasn't really thinking about doing something. Um, I remember I I wanted to do something related to computers or stuff like that. But when I was 15 years old, my my dad, I think he received as a present, a small VHS video camera. And I started playing around with it and I was shooting like crazy (laughs) all over. So my father actually, Uh, enrolled me in like after school program for photography and um, that was pretty interesting because I remember we were, there was just I think just before the Romanian revolution so they were using a lot of cheap Russian chemicals and Russian cameras but a lot of them so for one year I had the opportunity to ruin a lot of like black and white (laughs) films and just learning that way all the darkroom magic and all the like first steps in, in photography and then I, I realized at that age that's pretty much what i want to do so i started i started prepared for the film university in, in romania and i joined the film university in romania after after the after finishing the high school but I, I pretty much knew from like since I was fifteen years old that that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, what were some of your the films you made either while at university or just out before you got to Youth Without Youth? Uh,
1: there, I mean, the nice part in, um, I think it's not only Romania. It's pretty much um, all the the film schools in Eastern Europe. Because they are supported by by the government, uh, I, I remember doing like six short films in, in in those four years of film university So six films on four on 35 and two on 16, and basically I think it's a pretty good training for for a cinematographer and a lot of a lot of photography. Uh, after finishing the school, I had like. a a weird <laughs> period because um I was waiting for someone to call me when you finish the school, it's like okay the next day i'll I'll start shooting, but it's not <laughs> always <laughs> like that so I, I i had to to work something, so I started working as a steel photographer. And uh, I did that for like three years, and after three years... It, in the same time, the nice part, at that time, uh, in the film university, we used to, to work as assistants. So I started working during the summer holidays, or um, sometimes even like in the middle of... The, like at the beginning of the year, or in winter, it didn't matter. But I did as an assistant like 15 movies, as an electrician, as a steel photographer, like any type of assistant jobs. And at one point after those three years of still photography, I had to do a couple more uh, films as an assistant. And then I was basically hired by a Romanian production company and I started shooting some some short films uh, with, uh, with a young director, a friend of mine. And that's how I basically... Uh, in that year, I remember uh, Romanian short films. They won a lot of prizes, um, like the, the Cannes Festival, the Berlin Festival, and with uh, with a, one of my first short films after the film school, we won the the Venice Circuit of Best Prize. and That's got me back into the mm-hmm. <laughs> into the film into the film.
0: And how did you uh, get matched up with Francis Coppola? Uh,
1: I was just finishing, I, I think, my, my second feature film, um, which was a Romanian production, and I heard from, uh, from a friend of mine that Francis came to Romania and that he wanted to shoot something there. And after a couple of days, I, I received a call and... Uh, I was invited to to go to a sort of a test, which was like an eight eight hour shooting uh, with Francis, and I was so excited. I mean, I, I never thought that I will end up shooting the whole movie. I was uh-huh. excited that I I will I will meet him and I'll have the opportunity to shoot a test for eight hours, mm-hmm. which was like a real shooting day. Sure. Uh, so he, he wanted to, to do a sort of a casting for actors, so he was choosing different actors each day and different cinematographers. And after a couple of months from, from that test, I, I got an email from Francis that he basically he sent me the script and he told me that uh, he would like to work with me, and I was <laughs> amazed.
0: And, and I'm sure you were aware of the, the history that I mentioned in the introduction, of the fact that he's worked with basically you know, a, a dozen of the most legendary cinematographers in history. Was that at all intimidating, or was it just inspiring? Or? Yeah, I mean,
1: after after I realized that uh, it's for real, and that I would <laughs> have to shoot youth without use, I was trying not to think about that. <laughs> it's like, so crazy. And each time, there were, like, people from the street. When when we were shooting on the street, there were, uh, a lot of people coming with DVDs for Francis to sign, and I was trying not to look. Because <laughs> so, I was like, no, that's not real. I don't mm-hmm. know.
0: <laughs> and your your first two features, I believe, were shot on film. And Youth Without Youth, of course, was was high def. Was there a big learning curve for you? And 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 I'm curious what why the decision was made to shoot that in high def. Uh,
1: I was um, uh, like till then, I was so so much like there are a lot of friends of mine now they're so into 35 millimeter and they're like defending the whole film mm-hmm. <laughs> and and stuff and but in the same time um a nice way of training uh, we were shooting a lot of commercials and music videos on dv cameras or dv cam and it's like it's uh, it's cheaper that way but uh, so a little bit uh, sort of a, a step was made for for this transition and then um, Francis told me uh, actually the test was uh, with with the Sony F900 so I had to search a little bit online and to just get the manual <laughs> and stuff <laughs> just to have a, a little idea about it and and um, after, after that, after the test, uh, Francis actually sent me here in, in LA, and I did a workshop, which is basically a, a workshop that trains camera assistants to be a DIT, but also cinematographers to be an like ADC, which is Advanced Digital Cinematographer mm-hmm. type of thing. You start learning the menus and everything. Basically, um, you as a cinematographer, if you have this training, you don't need a DIT on, on set. It's it's very interesting and I learned in like two weeks a lot of stuff about about HD and the fact that we had all the cameras there to play with and we had like 10 teachers. Mm-hmm. That, that was amazing. And suddenly I realized it, it helps you a lot. It's a little bit different. Um, at that point I remember uh, playing around with uh, with VF900 and with the uh, Panasonic varicam, but um, now that I'm thinking, like, with all the new cameras with 35mm chip size, it's even more interesting, so there are more steps to, to be making, but it's it's very, very interesting. I realize because when, when you're shooting film, you're just thinking, uh, you can use a couple of filters and that's all, and, okay, lighting and a lot of uh, other tools, but more or less you'll say okay we 'll see in the DI what, how the colors will will be When you shoot digital, you have the opportunity to adjust the camera from the shooting and to, to make only really small adjustments in the DI mm-hmm.
0: um, i 'd like, like to talk a little bit specifically about uh, Tetro and its visual style. Aside from some flashback sequences in color, you chose to shoot the movie in black and white with a cinemascope aspect ratio, which is a format that's familiar from films directed by Kurosawa and Billy Wilder, among others. But it's pretty much non-existent in contemporary films. Uh, it's an unconventional but a very effective approach. And I'm wondering, what was behind the decision to shoot in that style, both the black and white, the combination of the black and white and the scope aspect ratio?
1: Uh, the, the nice part of working is with, with Francis is that uh, he's um, always thinking about the visual style of, of his next project, and usually he, he comes to to the main members of the crew and he says, oh, I, I have a crazy idea." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was pretty much with with Tetra. He he wanted like a Kurosawa movie to to be in, in two, three, five black and white, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's it's really a nice challenge, and it was a nice challenge, and uh, it, it was pretty similar, like the style of not moving the camera a lot and the um, the two three five aspect ratio. Uh, he chose that for use without use, also. So it was something that I knew from from there. The black and white was a little different, and <laughs> <laughs> I had to work on.
0: Yeah, well, especially it's a movie that's very heavy on night exteriors. And, uh, you know, I was just curious what kind of challenges... Because Youth Without Youth is a film that has a very vivid uh, color palette, which has its own difficulties. But I was wondering if you found shooting something in black and white, a lot of night exteriors on location, uh, if that was actually... You know, some people, I think, have a perception that maybe black and white is simpler in some ways than color. But I was wondering if you actually found it, you know, more or less difficult. It, it, it's
1: totally a, a different thing. It's a, it, you need a different approach. And it's because it's not that there, there's that type of thinking that black and white image is more artistic in a way, but it's uh, completely wrong because uh, you cannot just take a color image and convert it to black and white and that will make, sometimes it will make it worse. I mean, it's not, you have to think a different way of lighting, and you have to. Basically, what I what I did when Francis told me that this would be the, the visual style, uh, I bought some uh, steel cameras, uh, photo cameras, and um, I tried to some some film steel cameras, and uh, I had a, a pretty good digital still camera and I try to to see what's the difference bec- be between shooting black and white film and um, shooting black and white in digital and how close can you can you be with, with digital to a, let's say Ilford high contrast uh, photo film so we did a lot of tests and a lot of scouting were made on, on film mm-hmm. <laughs> and That's that's kind of funny if I'm thinking that we are I, I end up Buying, I think, like twelve <laughs> film cameras, uh-huh. <laughs> and playing around with that, and I've also with, with the F 900, I realized there is a, a really easy way to to just adjust the menus and to to have a, a really high contrast black and white image if if the lighting is is proper for that.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of collaboration did you have with the, the costume designer? Because it, it's a movie that has – the costumes are very specific in how they define the characters. For instance, Vincent Gallo wears – he tends to wear very dark, textured clothing. And his, his brother, who's a little bit more young and naive, is kind of uh, brighter, you know, clothes and things like that. And, and I know that with, with black and white, you, you know, you don't have the colors to – to separate for, yeah. for, the, for the beer. And I'm wondering how if have you, have you did a lot of tests in terms of the, the costuming and worked with the, the designer and things the, like that.
1: The, the nice part is that we uh, we went to Argentina, I think eight months before shooting. Wow. So we had a lot of time to, to prepare everything. And I remember we, we set up uh, a little test space uh, for, for customs also so each time not only that the, the custom designer was bringing like a, um, a jacket but uh, they're bringing like just small samples just to see how, how they will look in, in black and white and um, we did a lot of like from still photography to just even like shooting and checking like how each color can be in, uh, converted to black and white. Also, it's like it's like when you're doing photography, uh, there are a lot of photographers that are shooting color for black and white. And the reason is that in Photoshop you can just adjust by channels. So if uh, you have a red jacket, you, by adjusting the red channel, you can adjust basically the saturation of that gray in, in a black and white image. So we are playing with, with that also to see how how much a, a red shirt can be enhanced or desaturated.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned being in, in Argentina for eight months before shooting. Buenos Aires is kind of known as a place of bright, vibrant colors. Did you did you ever feel like you were losing something by shooting in that uh, location and doing doing a movie that was almost entirely in black and white?
1: Not, I, I mean, not really. I was thinking when, when Francis told everybody that this would be a black and white movie, I started Searching for um, photos from from La Boca, uh, which is like really colorful, and um, like being uh, being here and preparing the the whole the whole project, I was a little bit worried, and I was like, "Okay, we'll <laughs> lose a lot of color." But going there on the streets and starting doing uh, a lot of steals, I realized that like. Uh, there is a lot of texture also in all those houses and all, all all those streets and you basically enhance the texture by having a black and white image because sometimes the cars are so powerful you 're not really uh, able to see the the texture mm-hmm. so I think it helped a lot, and it 's nice because i, I don 't know uh, of a like modern film. That was shot in La Boca in black and white, so <laughs> that's a nice. Feeling.
0: Yeah, were there uh, what? What kind of films did you watch with with Francis to prepare? I mean, I'm assuming the movies rem- reminiscent of both kind of '50s. American you know movies like Streetcar Named Desire and you know Elia Kazan films but also very much reminded me of, of 60s European art house cinema. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you watched those kinds of movies with with Coppola you know what the influences were. Yeah,
1: I remember we were speaking of, about a lot of movies like Broco and his brothers or La Notte or um, and I remember we we had so much time because we had to to watch also some Argentine movies so it was I remember watching a lot of a lot of black and white movies like before going to Argentina, and then there is actually one black and white Argentine movie that was made I think like five or six years ago called La Antena, and so I, I remember seeing a lot of a lot of films. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and although the two films are quite different, something that struck me about both Youth Without Youth and Tetra was, as, as you mentioned earlier, sort of relative lack of camera movement. Uh, the vast majority of shots in those films are stationary, very formal compositions, which I think are extremely powerful, not only because of their intrinsic beauty, but because they're so different from what we're used to seeing in contemporary films. And, again, this is a, it's such an unusual but effective choice. I'm curious how you and... Coppola arrived at it with youth without youth was it, was it something before you even started shooting you talked about or did it evolve
1: yeah pretty much from uh, from that test mm-hmm. uh, he told he told me like I don't I don't want the camera to, to move or to even, to adjust mm-hmm. the, the camera should be like stationary mm-hmm. like like a beautiful uh, photography like beautiful steel photography mm-hmm. and um it, it was very interesting I mean my first feature was 99% handheld. The second one was like, let's say, 80% (laughs) handheld. But having all that uh, photography background, I was really happy to to experiment with with this. And I thought it's a really interesting idea. Actually, Francis was telling, like, you know, when you're looking at the corners, uh, like watching a modern movie, you see that it's moving even right. <laughs> it's like not necessary, but there's, that, that's a different style, and uh, I really like the the style that he chose, like not to move the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, a, a less that it's like a really important shot that you really need to to have a movement, and then because ninety percent of the camera wasn't wasn't moving, that shot or that movement becomes more more important than.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah it, 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 well, it's funny. The second time I saw Tetro, I did find myself looking at the corners of the frame to test because I was like, am I, am I, is it true that this... Because I felt like the first time, I felt like this camera barely ever moves. And yeah. then the second time I did, I was watching the corners to check, and it really is just, uh, you know, it's very stationary. But like, like you say, it, uh, it does give the, the handful of moving camera effects. You, you know, It's sort of like when Hitchcock cuts to a close-up, he uses them so rarely to really mean something. It's interesting that in some ways, Youth Without Youth and Tetro are told, a, told in sort of a classical style, again, like not as much uh, not as much cutting as, as contemporary films, not as much camera movement. And they also have the sort of language of European films of the 50s and 60s, yet both films are shot with modern high definition technology, which makes a, you know, a kind of interesting um, juxtaposition. And I, I was wondering if you talk a little bit more about how, you recreated the properties of the kind of negative that cinematographers would have been using on a film like Lenote or something like that how did, how did you recreate that effect with uh, high def camera uh,
1: it's, I, I think like the most important uh, element is is the lighting basically so it's like all all the, bl- the like most of the the black and white classic films they have like a really Powerful backlight um, and we, we watched well like looking at a lot of movies we, we just decided like that's the type of, of lighting that, that we want like a high contrast and um, really with really powerful backlights because also the, the style of there is another style it's not that it's right or wrong there is an, another style which is like using a lot of soft light. In, in the modern movies, and there is something that, for example, I discovered uh, in, in the film school uh, I think it 's a matter of taste and a matter of like how you are used to to it my uh, I remember having for my second film, which was in sixteen millimeter uh, like a Romanian negative that was out of date by ten years. <laughs> and the the lab from, from school they managed to get an image <laughs> on that. But it was like a really grey image with a lot of mid tones but not pure black and not pure white. And my teachers were like so happy with that type of image and we were no we just want like really high contrast. They uh-huh. realized because they they used to to work on, uh, even, even, even Kodak at before vision period, they, they used to, to, to work all their lives, like my, my teachers, they used to lo- work all, all of their lives in like, really high contrast negative, and they were like doing their best to try to lower that contrast mm-hmm. so for them, uh, really uh, an image with a lot of mid tones was really interesting, and for us was like nightmare mm-hmm. <laughs> because we wanted to enhance the contrast. So I I remember even in like shooting 35 I liked a really high contrast type of lighting so that was a perfect a perfect match and Francis likes that type of of high contrast lighting um, and I think it's it's basically it wasn't that hard when when you have um, it, it's easier I think HD looks better with uh, with a high contrast lighting anyway mm. so and with like warm tones um, so for use without youth and for tetra, it was pretty easy <laughs> for me to to just make it look closer to, to film
0: but, and I think that high contrast look it's it 's very dramatic and it works well both of these films are movies about kind of operatic emotions i mean they 're both yeah. you know very very emotional emotional you know just very dramatic films and i think that the high contrast cinematography just emphasizes that did you shoot tetro with the same camera that you shot youth that youth the sony Nine uh, yeah, Hundred?
1: Sony f 900 It
0: was the same the same equipment mm-hmm. and uh, what kind of lighting package did you have on tetro
1: um, pretty much uh, the same i mean i'm i'm totally in love with Dado lights. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the package is, is really small and uh, the the main advantage uh, it, it's it's pretty much the same thing i uh, the way that i'm seeing vhd is like uh if you have to compare it to film it's like a reversal film but with a lot of details in the shadows so um, as much as you can basically work in 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 the shadows and underexpose it you'll you'll be able to to pull up like up to Two or three f-stops in, in the DI, so you don't need a lot of a lot of lights. Uh, the biggest light that we use for use without use, I think one day I had a, a 6K, but pretty much the average, like the best light was a, the biggest light was a 4K, mm-hmm. and from from there, like all the different small like 300, 650s or and a lot of deadolite.
0: To move on to a different topic, the, the sense of place in Tetro is really striking. Uh, Buenos Aires is almost another character in the movie like Vienna and The Third Man or New York and Taxi Driver. And uh, for you as a Romanian cinematographer, obviously your first film with with Francis you were in a an area that you were completely familiar with. And you know, here now you were in a city in a country that were completely different from your own and um, I'm wondering how you were able to find so many nuances. Was it was a lot of it just that extensive prep time that you had, where you were you down there for so long? Or I, I
1: think so. I mean, we uh, w- not only that uh, we are going for scouting like a lot of a lot of days, but living there and just walking on the street, going to a restaurant was uh, pretty much the same as, as a scouting period. Because mm-hmm. also I was carrying the photo cameras with me all the time and we discovered a lot of a lot of places like that. And I think it it was a huge help the the fact that we were there eight months before before start starting shooting.
0: And and did the time you you all spent there in, in pre production, did the uh did it alter the the script at all in terms of because the script is very location specific i mean the movie it again it feels like these locations where where all the the scenes take place are you know they they would be different there would be different scenes dramatically if they were in different locations it's not like a movie a, a typical movie where the characters could be having the same dialogue just about anywhere and it wouldn't drastically changed the movie. So I'm wondering, did you guys, as as you discovered locations while you were there, did the script change or was the script pretty locked in from I'm, the start? I'm
1: pretty sure. But also, Francis was in Argentina before, so uh-huh. uh, he knew a lot about, about Buenos Aires. Uh, then I remember the first time we went there for just a month or two, just to have the first, first feeling. And then we, we came back to, to prepare all, all the equipment and, and stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure in that time, Francis got a lot of new ideas and also I'm pretty sure during the, the big eight months pre-production period he, he got a lot of new ideas and just by by seeing different things on the street like for example the, um, the banner in, in one of the first shots in the movie, uh, that, the banner that is hanging, mm-hmm. that was something that, that Francis saw in, in, during the scouting. Uh, it was just like a banner that was hanging around and was blown by the wind and uh, that type of, of thing, for sure.
0: How long were you there total from beginning of pre-production to the end?
1: Uh, I think about two years.
0: Wow. <laughs> so was all the post work also done in Argentina?
1: Yes, Walter was there. Actually, Walter they, and Francis, they started editing pretty much from the second week of shooting. So Walter came there and he started working right away and that was really amazing. And after we, we finished the, the the main shooting period, they were working and uh, it was really interesting because we did this for Youth Without Youth also, I, I set a small insert table or like an insert place and they, they were working and uh, they were telling me a couple of times, like we need that inserts and we were like going back and shooting and it's it's a huge help having all the equipment there and all the props and and everything it was really interesting how like for me it was really interesting to see the whole process of editing and Mm -hmm. like the final steps of of the
0: movie i'm sure a lot of our listeners are curious to hear about the post process because the film is uh, it's shown in some theaters digitally, but also in others it's shown... I, I saw it... The first time I saw it was digitally, and then I saw it in a theater a week or two ago where it was a 35-millimeter print. And I'm curious to hear about the process in post of uh, basically the, the, the stages of taking your high-def footage to a 35-millimeter print. I mean, what does that entail?
1: I, um, I mean, we... Uh, We learned a lot from Youth Without Youth because that was basically not only the first film that I shot in in HD, but it was my first film with a DI process. (laughs) Uh, Usually, I mean, now I think that that things are are changed in in Europe, but uh, my first two films were shot in 35, but with with just an, an optical process afterwards. So being able to adjust, the contrast and the the brightness (laughs) without adjusting the colors it was a huge huge help for for me so and i I learned a lot about how you can take a digital image and put it to a negative and what's the difference in color spaces and uh, how many colors you can reproduce and uh, different other things like framing and there are a lot of problems that that you'll, you'll have to fight with, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, the the way that we decided to, to work, and I don't know if that's, if it's the best way, but it certainly it looked good. It's, um, the way of thinking is we are shooting in a 709 color space using the, the Sony F900, so the whole DI process, we decided instead of converting, because most of the, the films in a DI process, they just convert to a color space that will show them on the screen how the image will look on, on a negative. Uh, and then they they go back to to a digital environment for the digital projection. We decided just to start with what we have and with what... We know from from the set, which is the seven hundred nine color space, so in that way, after the final DI process, we just have the digital master that can go right away in the digital theater and then to to apply which is what, what is called the film lookup table and we'll see a simulation how the image will look on on the negative and all those those Process. There are different different problems, but you can solve everything if you do enough tests and mm-hmm. if you <laughs> if you just concentrate on like small details. And um, I'm I'm very happy with the results. Also with, with use without use because they are very very similar. It, it's, it's pretty impossible to have the same type of, of image on a digital projector and on a, on, a, on a film projector, but they are pretty close. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you say that, uh, because Tetra was mostly black and white, does that make it a little bit easier to get the 35 millimeter prints to look closer to the original, or is it basically the same problem? Uh, it was even worse. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because basically, it,
1: uh, Tetra has like 20 or something, 20% of color image, so mm-hmm. we had to fit... The black and white and color image on the same negative, which was a color negative, uh, so it's sometimes. I mean, all all the films that they were done that way with black and white and color, they had a lot of problem with reproducing a pure black and white image on a color negative, and we did a lot of tests. I remember doing a lot of tests on different film stocks just to to see how we can come closer. If you have to, uh, if you can project them simultaneously from a digital projector and from a film projector, you will see that what it is on film, it's a little bit tinted. But if you're just looking at the film, you won't be able able to tell.
0: Right. Uh, And you you mentioned the 20 or 30 minutes of color. In in the film, there are a number of flashback sequences uh, involving the brother's father, played by Klaus Maria Brandauer, and... uh, those are, as you say, in color. They're also uh, not in the cinemascope aspect ratio, if I remember correctly. And um, what, what kind of, what did you and Francis talk about in, as far as your creative approach to those? I mean, in terms of the lighting and the color, um, it's it. Those scenes have a very unusual look. They're almost like kind of the best-looking home movies anyone's ever shot or something like that. Like they almost have a home movie quality, but they're too beautiful. It's sort of like if, it's like if Michael Powell and Jack Cardiff were shooting your home movies, they would look like that. I'm just curious, what was your approach to those, and how did you want to, aside from just shooting in color, how did you want to differentiate them from the other sequences in the movie?
1: Uh, what Francis told me at the beginning was that for sure, we had the, the ballet scenes. They're like really a tribute to Michael Paul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was one thing, and the flashbacks. Uh, he said he he would like a look um, close to Anne's which was the family film. Right. In, uh, and we started search for a sort of an Chrome look. He, he also was thinking, like, you know what, we can shoot 16 if you want, and we can try if you think that on film will look better. And I did a cross-process test that was very close to, to but like by shooting reversal and process the uh, the reversal film as it's a negative. So it was... Uh, the. It was very, very close to, to an Ascol look, but in the same time we, we realized that we, we'll, we'll have more control if I can simulate that type of image in, in, the, in the camera, in the HD camera. So we did a lot of tests, having uh, I remember a Canon Scopic uh, loaded with <laughs> hexachrome film <laughs> and the uh, Sony F900 on the same the same lighting situations and uh, trying to simulate the that cross process look in the HD camera and the test was really successful and we decided to keep it to keep it that way. At one point I remember we wanted to go even further and to we discovered a book uh, about lomography and because all the time Francis was speaking like uh, how is a flashback in, in your mind and a lot of times you are referring to family photos or family film or something like that and Lomography has that type of interesting look because it has a plastic lens, like most of the cameras are having a plastic lens, light lickings <laughs> and all the things like that and we did a couple of tests, but it was uh, it, it was a little bit too much, so we just kept the the fake Scottchro yeah. look <laughs> made in in, in the h d camera.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the black and white sequences that take place in the present day and that are shot in Cinemascope, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they have very, very precise compositions. You could take most of the frames from this movie out of context and hang them on your walls. as a still photograph. Um, and yet Coppola is sort of known as a director who's very, very collaborative with his actors, who gives them a lot of free reign and uh, and things like that. And, so, and the performances in the movie are... Uh, especially Vincent Gallo, you know, it's very kind of natural and uncontrolled. I mean, Vin- Vincent Gallo almost feels like he's in a Cassavetti's movie or something. And so uh, that combination of kind of freedom for the actors and yet these very precise compositions, I was wondering how you arrived at your compositions. Were they were they storyboarded or pre-visualized or do you let the, the actors sort of move around and men decide? I'm just curious what that process is like
1: ah, we uh, that was something that we we had to, to do for youth without youth also so uh, it came really easy for us and we we did it just with uh, really specific marks for <laughs> for the actors so a lot of times I remember Francis was was saying like let's, let's just do a, a beautiful white shot and then we'll see where to place the actors and I think I think it came really easy for the actors also after a couple of days because anyway uh, more or less they will have to to have a mark for the best lighting in, in that situation. So I think they and by by looking at, at the monitor and seeing that it's like that shot is really interesting by itself. So it will help me as an actor also. Uh, they were really helpful, and I mean, I remember I was uh, I was nervous because uh, the whole crew, the whole technical crew was was from Argentina, and one thing that we di- that I discussed with my crew at, at the beginning was uh, that we need to be careful with the cables and everything to, to try to protect the actors as much as we can uh and they they were really helpful with that but also on on the other side i remember vincent was really helpful uh a lot of times because he's also a technical guy and he does right. a lot of things so he helped a lot and uh, i don't remember having problems with with the actors hitting their marks they were like Really precise. And uh-huh. Well, they, <laughs> it was really helpful.
0: They're, they're, they've got to be happy with the end result because they all look uh, beautiful in the movie. You said you worked with an Argentinian crew. So, did any anyone come over from Youth Without Youth on your your camera team, or was it all new people? It was all
1: new <laughs> <laughs> crew. <laughs> yeah,
0: it was interesting because
1: also for Youth Without Youth, they were very new to me. We never worked before one with, with the other and um we we got along very well and going to argentina was the same idea and the same concept that we need to to choose our crew members from from there it's also that i uh, my crew is like really really limited but i think it's exactly the perfect number mm-hmm. for for me i think we are eight people mm mm-hmm. With the camera assistants, grip, gaffer, everything, <laughs> and we did something. Having that much time for preparation, I did a sort of a casting <laughs> with different gaffers, different grip guys, different camera assistants. Mm-hmm. And um, Masatsuyuki and I we, we were interviewing a lot of a lot of people. <laughs> And uh, finally we choose a crew, because usually when you're going to a different country uh, you'll just receive a crew, it's like mm-hmm. a complete package. We choose, for example, uh, the the gaffer and the best boy, they never worked with each other. So we choose exactly the people that we liked and that I was, th- I was thinking that I'll get along with. And they were great and I, they they helped us a lot.
0: Mm. an eight person camera crew probably sounds to uh cinematographers used to working on big studio movies sounds kind of small and limited but do you think that that creates a kind of energy and, and mobility that's that's beneficial to you maybe to have a crew that's a little smaller than I, the I
1: think so because the the whole concept of of a small crew um Francis came up with with this and the idea is that you have more time Mm -hmm. so if you have more time for shooting you don't need to to hurry and you don't need to to move like big lights or (laughs) big equipment in five minutes Uh, so I think it's more uh, the feeling of of a family (laughs) on the set, it's it's really nice and um, you have a lot more comfort working with a small crew because you start knowing each other when you have like a 30 people crew it's it's hard yeah yeah you know.
0: well and you yeah, know, it's i don't think anything is sacrificed in terms of the image i mean uh, you know kubrick also took that approach where he had smaller crews than were you know conventional and you just it was the same thing he did it so that he could take more time and i don't yeah. you know uh obviously the the end results yeah, looked pretty good so you know as as i mentioned in the intro you've basically with these two films youth without youth and tetro i feel like you've you're kind of evolving this form of cinematic language that's that's very fresh uh that's sort of a, f- a fresh combination of new digital technology with uh this you know again formal composition stationary camera um high contrast photography and uh, you know, I'm wondering since you said that your earlier movies had a lot more handheld and things like that, have, has doing these two movies changed your sort of philosophy at all about uh, cinematography? Do you think you would continue to work in this style, or is it more about what's appropriate for each individual film?
1: I, th- I think what's appropriate for each for each project, but definitely I learned a lot because. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, it's it's hard for for me to tell uh, if it's easier to to shoot handheld or it's harder. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's totally a different style, and I'm happy to experiment with each thing. Mm-hmm. For his next project, Francis might say, "Let's do handheld." Sure. <laughs> and I think it's it's what's best for for each project.
0: And uh, do you know what you'll be working on next? Uh, not really, <laughs> for now, no. Well, I uh, I look forward to whatever it is. You know, a, a Tetro is a it's a really beautiful film. I really encourage our, all of our listeners who haven't seen it to uh, to check it out. It's it's a real gift to fans of you know European art house cinema and just glorious black and white images in in general. So uh, thank you very much for being here, me. I appreciate it.